3: You are you. The time is now for Like It Matters Radio. <gasps> Living life like it matters. And you know, I like to consider myself a pretty responsive leader. You know, I have over 10,000 people uh, who I've walked intimately with, who I've helped uh, change their lives, who I've helped uh, overcome sorrow, sadness, grief, who I've helped uh, refocus, uh, resuscitate their heart, uh, reframe their thinking, uh, and uh, by the grace of God. I've been able to bless uh, tens of thousands of people one-on-one in processes I've done. And so I feel very, very blessed for to, be able to do that. You know, I got a um, an email, or my wife did, Val, from a, a graduate who went through my training uh, probably about uh, eight years ago. And he told Val, he said that I had lost uh, a family member and I'm struggling with some grief. And I'd heard that Mr. Black now has a podcast and said, yep, it's called Living Life Like It Matters. And by the way, if you listen to podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, search "Living Life Like It Matters, and there you will find us. And so he asked Valerie, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with some grief, and uh, uh, it, do, can you recommend a podcast that I can listen to? Will help me with this grief. And then Val emailed me. And then I thought, hey. We should do a show on grief because, man, oh man, there's a lot of grief going on in America today. And so today on Like It Matters Radio, I want to discuss grief. You know, grief is defined as keen mental suffering over affliction or loss, sharp sorrow, painful regret. It can also mean a cause or occasion of keen distress or sorrow. In today's world, there is much grief. Let's be honest, in America and there is much grief. And how we cope with this loss dictates how long we stay in the valley and how healthy we are when we come out of the valley.
4: And now, story time with Mr. Black.
3: There were two men, both seriously ill, who shared the same hospital room. One man got a seat next to the room's only window The man was also allowed to sit up in his bed for an hour each afternoon to help him drain fluids from his lungs. The other man had to spend all his time laying flat on his back and the opposite end of the room. The two roommates quickly bonded and started talking for hours on end. They talked about their lives, their jobs, their children and their wives. One day, the man on the other side of the window expressed how he envied the man near the window. From that day forward, the man near the window started describing all the things he could see outside that little picture frame window that took him outside the hospital and into the real world. The window overlooked a lovely park with a lake. Ducks played on the lake while children sailed their model boats. Young lovers walked arm in arm amidst flowers of every color, and a fine view of the city skyline could be seen in the distance. The man on the other bed began to live for those one-hour time frames where he could hear and visualize the world outside the hospital room. The one hour of every day would broaden his world and brighten his world and enliven by all the activity and color. Of the outside world in contrast that stale little dingy room in the hospital one fine afternoon the man by the window described a parade passing by although the other man could not hear the band he could visualize it as the man by the window vividly described all the details days and weeks passed by One morning, a nurse arrived to examine the condition of the two patients. She found the lifeless body of the man by the window. The man had peacefully embraced his death on his sleep. The nurse sadly called the hospital attendants to take the body away. The other man grieved the death of his roommate, his very few friends he had, and this was his main friend who he spent his life with. But as the day passed by, he started missing the way his roommate described the view out of the window. In a hope to have a peek out the window and the beautiful world outside the window, the other man asked, Hey, could, could I take his place since he's no longer with us? Could I move my bed over by the window? With this, the nurse happily made the switch. As soon as he was comfortable in his new bed, the man slowly and painfully propped himself up to take his first look at the world outside to pierce through that beautiful picture frame. The nurse delightfully watched as the man attempted to sit on the bed after weeks. But as he strained to slowly turn to look out the window beside him, he was stunned. For all he saw was a blank wall outside the window. The agitated man asked the nurse, what could have made his roommate lie about the view outside this window? Why would he do this to me? There's nothing to see from here. Where are all the wonderful things he saw? He described everything so vividly. Is this a new or recent wall? Why did he give me such vivid details that don't exist, he asked. The nurse shook her head and answered his questions. Perhaps he just wanted to encourage you and make you happy. You see, your roommate was totally blind. Once there lived a happy couple who had been together for decades. But after spending years together, the husband was concerned that his wife was not hearing well as she used to. He thought that she might need a hearing aid, but worried about how he would approach her, wasn't sure how to approach her. He called his family doctor and asked for a suggestion. And the doctor told him to test it with a simple idea. The doctor said, stand 40 feet away from her and speak as loud as you would speak to her in a normal conversation. Observe if she hears you. If not, reduce the distance to 30 feet, then 20 feet. And so on until you get a response. The distance will help us to estimate her requirements for a hearing aid. Next day, the husband saw his wife cooking dinner in the kitchen. So he took the opportunity to check the doctor's idea. He got 40 feet away from his wife and asked, Dear, what is there for dinner? He waited for a response, but he didn't get any. He moved a bit closer and asked, Dear, what is there for dinner? He still did not get any response from his wife. He then stood 20 feet away from his wife and asked the same question, hoping he would get a response this time. But the wife, again, responded not. He then stood just 10 feet away from his wife and asked, Dear, what is there for dinner? Again, he did not get any response. By now the husband was very concerned and felt pity how bad, Is his wife's hearing? Then he walked right up behind her and says, Honey, what is there for dinner? The wife shouted, John, this is the fifth time I'm saying chicken. The moral of the story, most often the problem may not be with others, but could be very much within us. See, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter what happens to us in life. What matters is what happens in us. And today, as we talk about grief, you'll understand there are two different strategies. One for properly processing grief, and one for not properly processing grief. And all of it is an inside job. So I'm Mr. Black, and we'll be right back.
0: You listen every day. I never miss it. So now it's time for you to join the conversation. Who, me? Like Freedom 1570 on Facebook and share your thoughts with like-minded conservatives. You can also enter to win prizes, learn about upcoming events, and more.
4: Do you need a new battery for your lawnmower, boat, or motorcycle? Full Service Battery offers the lowest prices on batteries in town. Need batteries for your golf cart? Full Service Battery will recycle your old ones and even install the new batteries. Let local, family-owned Full Service Battery put their over 20 years of experience to work for you. They can even custom build a battery cable if you need it. There's only one name you need to remember for batteries, and that's Full Service Battery. Search them online, Full Service Battery. Take a listen to this comparison of other training to Leadership Awakening.
1: For probably two-thirds of my 30-year law enforcement career, I spent time in supervision and management. So I've been to a lot of leadership training, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I went to a leadership course in California where I worked and it's an eight-month program. I went through that program, I went back later on as a facilitator. So. I, I taught leadership. What we did in class was completely different than any other leadership program that I've been through. I mean, in 48 hours of leadership training in your program, it was just, it was dynamic, it was intense, it was powerful, you know, it was, it was amazing, it was amazing.
4: Leadership Awakening. Change your heart, change your mind, change your life. Go to likeitmatters.net slash schedule for the next Leadership Awakening.
2: We will carry on the tradition of a good and worthy people who have brought light where there was darkness, warmth where there was cold, medicine where there was disease, food where there was hunger, and peace where there was only bloodshed. Let us be sure that those who come after will say of us in our time, That in our time, we did everything that could be done. We finished the race. We kept them free. We kept the faith. Thank you very much. God bless you, and God bless America.
3: Amen. I am black, and we are back. That was the Gipper. You know, if I was to go to my dictionary, the Black Dictionary, and look up the word President of the United States, Commander-in-Chief, there would be a picture of the Gipper of Ronald Reagan. Uh he got me inspired about making a difference. He got me inspired about the the little being the, the shining light on a hill. He got me expire, inspired about making a difference. He he got me inspired about being a proud American and and not because uh I got lucky to be born here, but because I was responsible because I was born here. Because I was responsible to share with the world, because I was responsible to share with others, because I was responsible because it was one of the greatest privileges outside of Christian privilege. Remember God chose some, but didn't choose others, and if you're a child of God it is impossible uh, to be a victim it's impossible and and I would say secondly, if you're a you were blessed enough to be born in this country, it's a lot harder. I want to say it's impossible. Uh, to be a victim, but a lot harder to be a victim. It wouldn't be prudent. Ain't going to do it, right? And so today we're talking about grief, and it was great that John uh, played that Reagan clip because when we think about grief, uh, most people think about loss, and usually it's a loss of a life. But can I suggest that grief also comes from a loss of a dream? Grief also comes from a loss of a hope. Grief also comes from the loss of a relationship. And can I tell you right now that grief comes from the loss of a country? And there are many people living in grief today who haven't lost a loved one. What they've lost is their country, what this country used to stand for, what it used to be about. And today it's become this racist, hateful, bitter, lying place. And I don't want to get too off track because I have a lot of grief. Uh, I've been in much grief since November 5th when it re- was clear that uh, it was, things were staged, that the election was predetermined, that there was no way, like Nancy Pelosi said, that uh, that Donald Trump would be reelected. She guaranteed it. So did the, uh, the AG, I think, in Chicago, uh, Illinois AG. One of them said, guarantee you that Donald Trump does not get reelected. How does someone have that kind of guarantee unless they know the outcome? And so let's talk about grief. Since there's a lot of grief in this world, a lot of people have lost a lot with this COVID-19, which I, again, believe is the pandemic, you know, is a plandemic. Uh, Why is everybody being forced to take a vaccine that, uh, you know, 0.003, I think it is. People uh, die from it. And yet you're mandating everybody take uh, a a vaccine that's experimental, that has stuff in it that's never been put in it before, that's not even been tested. And no one seems to worry because we're all in this Joe Biden loves everybody. Joe Biden's a good man. But there's a lot of grief in this country, a lot of grief in this world. So grief is defined because you got to go to the word, right? Keen mental suffering or distress over affliction or loss, sharp sorrow, painful regret, a cause or occasion of keen distress or sorrow. So grief is the natural response to death or loss. You gotta get this. If 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 you don't grieve over the loss, uh, a death of something, that means it wasn't that important to you. So grieving and grief shows that there is something important happened. happen, right? There's a saying I have when I teach emotional intelligence, anything important that happens to us arouses emotion. So when we have a deep grief, uh, it shows that something happened that was really, 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 really important to us. You know, in, in, the, in the days of uh, you know antiquity, when Jesus was incarnate and walked this planet, you know how jews uh would demonstrate grief when something bad would happen serious loss they they'd tear their clothes they'd beat their chest they'd they'd wear uh, uh clothes that was uncomfortable they'd put uh ashes on their head they wanted people to know that something really important happened. I mean to tear your clothes, to rip your garments, to uh to shave your head, to to wear prickly clothes that made you feel uncomfortable, to have no peace, to have no nothing comfortable because something big happened. Matter of fact, in the old days, in Jesus days, you could actually pay people. There were professional whalers. Now not people with harpoons and the Moby Dick. Now I'm not talking about those kind of whalers. You know, because whale is one of those words, right? You can whale on something. You can beat something. You could, it's, a, it's a big uh, creature that lives in the water. Uh, but it's also to cry out loud, to sob. And so grief is important. And they used to pay people and an important person died they would hire people that were wailers and they would just wail and cry and carry on i mean read the bible you hear about it many times where actually jesus raised some people from the dead and he had to get the people who were wailing out of there because uh, it, they wanted everybody to know that their daughter they lost their daughter and how sad they are and so there are causes of grief right People can feel lost when they lose a family member, someone close, or a friend. When they become separated from a loved one, they lose a job, position, or income. A pet dies. I got to tell you, one of the biggest parts of grief in my life was when I lost my little buddy. Uh, I had a little orange cat. It wasn't literally as big. Sergeant Fuzzy Boots. That was his name, Sergeant Fuzzy Boots. Little orange kitty we rescued from uh, a doom when he was just a little kitty starving to death. We got him. We thought he was six weeks old. He was actually six months old. He was like a, a little bobblehead. His head would bobble. He was so little. And he was, he, I didn't realize it, but he was ready to die. We thought he was six weeks old. He was six months old. We took him in uh, and found out he was, well, we were way off. And I got to tell you, I grieved for probably six months. I lost my mom and dad about eight months apart. And uh did not grieve that much as I did when I lost my best friend, Sergeant Fuzzy Boots. So again, for someone else to decide what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, uh that that's really not what this show's about. But I want you to know there are stages of grief. And just like all emotions, you know, God gives us emotions for a reason. You know, they move us. Anything important that happens to us arouses emotion. And in the study of emotional intelligence, we learn that emotions are neither good nor bad. They're not right or wrong. What they do is they're information. They're information from the heart to the head. They're information about something that matters to us. And if you lose something of great importance, something of great value, it would be emotionally unintelligent to not have an effect on you. It would be emotionally unintelligent for you just move on it's not healthy that means you're stuffing 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 here's the problem there's an outcome for stuffing 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 you know what it is it's called snap you, you stuff finished. stuff stuff snap stuff 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 snap and you see it all the time right and so i want to go over the psychological stages of grief because it's important so first of all the first one is denial uh, which you can get numbness you can be in shock Numbness is a normal reaction to a death or a loss and should never be confused with not caring. But a lot of people self-medicate and they're afraid to start crying because let's be honest, I deal with a lot of people's deep pain. When a lot of people, they start crying, they wouldn't be able to stop. And so that's why. So you got denial, you got numbness, you got shock, you know, and then the second one is you start bargaining. This stage of grief may be marked by persistent thoughts about what could have been done. You know, maybe we could have done this to stop it, or done this to stop, or what. And again, what you got to realize is God's omniscient. God has a first day and a last day for every single person before they were ever born, and so God's not surprised by anything. When it's time to go, it's time to go. Is appointed for man to live one time, I should say, die one time, and then comes the judgment. Stage three is depression. In this stage, we begin to realize and feel the true extent of the death or loss, and it's usually after we get over. Like I said, we got to get over the denial through things. We got to get over the the bargaining phase, you know, where we get to uh, anger, right? We get angry about it and all that, you know. Uh, it's it's bargaining, regret, maybe not anger yet. We're just kind of working up to that stage, and then depression is when we begin to feel the real true extent of the loss, and then comes the anger. Oh yeah. Anger, sadness stages come. It usually happens when we feel helpless, powerless. Anger can stem from a feeling of abandonment because of a death or a loss. And then at some point we get to the healthy stage of acceptance. And in time we can come to terms with all the emotions and feelings we experience when with a death or the loss happen. Now, here's the key. If you never get to that acceptance you're never gonna heal. And I work with many groups. I work with a group called Parents for Peace and Justice in Chicago and I'm gonna talk about it. I have two people, we'll call one M, we'll call one C. And both lost a child, both to gun violence. And yet one is bubbly today and smiling happy and the other one is a victim and everything that she writes about has to do with her son. That she's put her entire identity to the loss of her son. And I would suggest that M is grieving health, in a healthy way and C is grieving in a worldly way, which means death, destruction, uh, repercussions, reparations, resentment, revenge, regret, all those unhealthy things that our government now is telling us that we should feel. So today on Like It Matters Radio, we're talking about good grief because done properly, grief can have much great value. I am black. We'll be right back.
1: We are all in the construction business, constructing memories, relationships, new ideas, and a legacy that will outlive us. Life is best imagined as a construction project. Catch up on the latest news and information
0: affecting Minnesota's great outdoors with Outdoor News Radio on Freedom 1570. We talk hunting, fishing, and natural resources in the great state of Minnesota every Sunday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Joining me, Rob Gerislein, our guest-like bowhunting expert Tony Peterson, professional anglers like Tackle Terry Tuma and Tim Lesmeister, and nature gurus like the bird chick Sharon Saitler. Sundays at 8 a.m. on Freedom 1570. It's Outdoor News Radio.
4: Do you have sunken concrete around your home, leaving you with trip hazards or causing water to run back to your foundation? Hi, I'm John Lamore, owner of Expert Concrete Raising. We raise settled concrete using a high-density polyurethane foam, which is a more permanent solution than mudjacking. Polyurethane foam cannot be washed away, and it doesn't shrink or deteriorate over time. If it's concrete, we can raise it. Get it done right the first time. For a free estimate, contact a second-generation concrete raising business at expertconcreteraising.com.
2: Today as never before, we must pray for God's help in broadening and deepening the peace we enjoy. Let us pray for freedom and justice and a more stable world. And let us make a compact today with the dead. A promise in the words for which General Ridgway listened, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee.
3: Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. Radio, Like It Matters, inspiration, education, and application. Live in life, like it matters. And that is the name of our new bi-weekly podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please search us out, Live in Life, Like It Matters. We're pretty big on Apple, and but anywhere that you listen to podcasts, just search for that. Uh, and please uh, download it, share it, send it to five people. You know, what we're doing on the radio, what we're doing in class at likeitmatters.net needs to be done. We have over 100 million Americans struggling with depression, with grief. They're losing so much. And you got to realize, I mean, I'll just this is real time. So this is on my Facebook messenger. The person I've met on Facebook don't know this person. It's a woman. She says, quote, as we predicted, my sister pushed the vaccine on my dad. And this was from 930 this morning, just say so you no know, today. My sister pushed the vaccine on my dad. I don't know the the day he got his, but I know he suddenly ended up in the nursing home and has been there ever since. They can't figure out what's wrong. My sister won't admit when she got the vaccine and has taken POA for him and is denying me access to him and his info. Uh, And then I said, I'm so sorry. And I put her name there. This is destroying lives, relationships, reality. She said, quote, it is, but God is bigger than she is my dad wasn't saved i've been trying to find a way to talk to him and my sister was always pushing against it though she claims she's saved she's gone Uh, he's gone leave him alone i'm sure he's saved recently he told me i know i'm going to hell i was prepared to go to his house bible in hand and give him the gospel no matter what he's 93 and it's hard time to uh, it's hard to time my visits there around my sister's family then he ended up in a nursing home And I couldn't get access. She denied it. I prayed about it, and God sent a pastor family member into my path. He got in to see my dad, and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The only relationship that really matters is that my dad knows Christ. These are real stories. I deal with people in Uganda. I have three orphanages that I support, over 100 kids, and three young men who I mentor and share the word of God. And they're broken. They're in uh, grief that uh, people, I mean, people are dying. Their kids are dying because they can't get healthy water. They're dying because they can't even use their bathroom. The doctor said, don't use your, it's not a bathroom. It's a hole in the ground. It's so infested and affected. And the grief I deal with daily with these people. And yet I see hundreds of thousands of people on Facebook saying, praying for you, praying for you. And yet I find out for these three men who I barely know, who I've been supporting for six months, that not a single, not another person has ever helped them out. And I'm like, wow, have we gone that cold, ladies and gentlemen, that cold. Boy, we got 401ks and we got all vacation rentals. I'm hearing about all my friends going on their second and third vacation and they're buying a new car. And they're getting a new town home, they're putting a deck on their home, boy. Uh, and we got people starving to death, people that are being locked up in jail for being Christian. The biggest threat to America today, Joe Biden tells us, is white Christians. And, and where's all the grief? See, there are laws of emotions. Uh, it, it, where did I get this from? Spring.org out of the UK, side blog. So says we tend to think of our emotions as having laws under themselves, and that's why I actually teach emotional intelligence. The right emotion with the right intensity at the right time for the right reason directed toward the right person and in the right way. One psychological researcher has suggested that our emotions follow certain general rules. Professor Nico Frieda puts forward 12 laws of the emotions, and that's from 2006. As with most laws, there are exceptions, but these have been synthesized from years of psychological research. I'm just going to share the top three because I think they're relevant to what we're talking about today. Number one, the law of situational meaning. The first law is simply that emotions derive from situations. Generally, the same type of situation will elicit the same type of emotional response. Loss makes us grieve. Gains make us happy. And scary things make us fearful. Most people, right? Number two, the law of concern. We feel because we care about something. When we have some interest in what happens, whether it's to an object, ourselves, or another person. Emotions arise from these particular goals, motivations, or concerns. When we are unconcerned, we don't feel anything. Do you hear what I'm saying? Anything important that happens to us arouse emotion. And yet we got so many people dead and numb. So many people attacking each other. Uh, but not attacking the real problem, not supporting each other. And then lastly, I'm going to share with you of the 12, number three, the law of apparent reality. This is so big. Remember I told you people don't respond to reality. They respond to their belief about reality. No one's responding to what's going on. They're responding to what they believe is going on, and those can be quite different. I do not want to
1: believe that.
3: It's a sad reality. See, whatever seems real to us can elicit an emotional response. In other words, how we appraise or interpret a situation governs the emotion we feel, right? The reason poor movies, plays, or books don't engage us emotionally is because in some sense we fail to detect truth. Similarly, it's difficult to get emotional about things that aren't obvious right in front of us. For example, grief may not strike when we are told about the death of a loved one, but only once it becomes real to us in some way. Say when we pick up the phone to call them, forgetting they are gone. And so before the break, I told you I've done a little bit of work with this group in Chicago called Parents for Peace and Justice, and they all uh, have one thing in common. They have lost a family member. I think it's a child. Uh, I could be wrong. I think it's specifically a child, though, from gun violence in Chicago. And so I worked with these groups for a little while when one of uh, gentleman who was associated with them came to work with me, and then he left me. Uh, and I stopped working with them. But I, I did some work with some of their people. I put them in my class. And so we're going to have two women. One's called M and one's called C. Now, both lost a a son to gang violence. Now, when I met M and C both, they were both a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of grief about the loss of their son. Now, with M, what happened when she came through, uh, man, she was real receptive. Uh, She had a heart for God. Uh, she was open, and I, uh, I she was on every kind of depressant uh, she couldn 't get out of bed she was on muscle relaxers, pain pills she had basically become a vegetable. Uh, she was in so much grief, and it happened a few years earlier. She had told me after the class that the day before class or right before the class, she pulled up to a stop sign there was a stoplight, and there was these i think it was white people walking on the on the on the crosswalk in front of her. And she's just in such grief. And the voice in her head said, punch it, run them over. And uh, she was telling me a story with tears coming out. Like she was going to run these people over, kill to take out some of her grief. That's how bad it was. And after two and a half days with me, and really uh, by the grace of God, she opened up her heart. Uh, She was receptive what I was saying. She left there smiling ear to ear. This was over a year ago, probably a year and a half ago. And this woman's life is different. She smiles. She glows. She's had a hard time being an associate with that organization anymore because they all they want to do is, is grieve. They just want to grieve. And then the other one, see, um, same thing. She went through my training as well, uh, but she was more into the whole uh, the black victimhood thing that, you know, life's not fair and America's racist and, and all that. I mean, I see in her things. And she had just I'd seen not too long ago. And I actually then disconnected her from Facebook. So we weren't connected anymore. Uh, She was bragging about going with Michael Brown's mother, uh, going to D.C., some big event in D.C. where all these victims of uh, losing their children could get together and basically talk about the Black Lives Matter thing and what are we going to do as victims, and it just rips my heart out. Both women went through the same experience years ago. Both women are part of the same group. Both women have real sorrow, real grief, real angst. But one is now free, and when she talks about her son oh, she glows, she smiles. When I met her, she couldn't mention her son's name without breaking down, sobbing and crying. And now, boy, she talks about him with a sparkle glow. And the other one, see, she's part of the whole um, you know, victimized black people, that everybody's evil, that all white people are this, and that all that. and it's just stunning to me. And it's attached to her identity. And see, ladies and gentlemen, this is where you got to realize, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. you got to realize there's two processes uh, for grief. One process is a way that any time you think about that person, you just you break down. It kills you. You can't talk about them. Such misery, uh, such heartache, such hardship. And the other way is, boy, they talk about them, they smile, and they glow, and they're happy and all that. And there's two things that are going on. Number one, it's called submodalities and modalities. And I'm going to spend more time with this after the break. But the second one is about the neurological levels. Remember, we talk about this. There are six levels, or they call them logical levels. Top level, spirit, identity, belief system of values, capabilities, behavior, and environment. And again, we've all been victimized to a degree, just like these two women. But that was something that happened to us or something that happened to someone else. But the difference is with M, she now realized it was something that happened and something that she will not allow to control her, that her son's in heaven with God and that she was blessed to have her son. The other one has become a victim. She has taken now what happened to her son and now attached it to her identity. It's now part of her identity. That her loss of her son is who she is. The whole Black Lives Matter movement, the whole poor black people and and white people are evil and bad. All that stuff. It's become part of her identity. She can't separate it out. And by the way, she's supposed to be a Christian. And I'm telling you right now, if you're a true Christian, if you're a child of the Risen King, you cannot be a victim of anything. You have unmerited favor. You've been given kingdomhood. You've been. You're a co-heir to the kingdom of Christ, a God. You're. You're. A, you, you've been blessed. You're a prince or a princess. You can't be a victim of anything. So today on Like It Matters Radio, we're talking about good grief because there's a good way to deal with grief and a not-so-good way to deal with grief. And after the break, we'll go into that in more detail. Right on.
0: Limitless access to liberty and truth. Listen to Freedom 1570 with our free app, your smart speaker at freedom1570.com or with iHeart, TuneIn and radio.com. We live in the Twin Cities and defend liberty nationwide. There is an answer to the mess we are in today in this country. There's a reason so many young people are being led astray. We have to fight back and protect the country we know and love. There's one who knows the way out of this mess. Charlie Kirk has the answer. He's relentless. He will not stop till he reaches every person who will hear. Listen to him every day, everywhere you find podcasts. The Charlie Kirk Show, now on a podcast near you. You, you. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. BearingArms.com covers Second Amendment
2: issues, self-defense, the latest gear, and more. That's BearingArms.com.
4: That's likeitmatters.net.
3: Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. Radio, like it matters, inspiration, education, and application. Today, we're talking about grief. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, in a way, grief is good. I know it sounds weird to some of you, but grief means that something mattered. Do you realize how many people in this world very little matters? They're cold, they're callous. They have no feelings. They're numb. They're shut off. They're so self-medicated. They're so numb down that, uh, you know, that nothing affects them. And I always say, you know, if nothing gets to you, then nobody can get to you. Uh, and I don't mean that in a good way. That means your spouse can't get to you. Your kids can't get to you. Uh, Christ can't get to you. Uh, uh, the homeless guy in the street can't get to you. I- I'm amazed at how many people on Facebook you know, or, or hear from these all these people around the world, these poor people in Africa, Uganda. We have three three orphanages in Uganda that we help. Uh, and I beg people to help us help them. I mean, we're feeding people. We're wanting to build a, a new water tower help get them a toilets that aren't killing them. Uh, and yet, uh, and I know tens of thousands of people and very few people offer any assistance at all. It's, I just, I can't believe how cold we've gotten. And yet the Bible says, in the end days, people become lovers of self. We become very cold. And so it's, here we are living it. And so I want to go, this last segment, I want to help you out because if you are struggling with some grief, now let me tell you this, and it's going to sound bad, and please, it's not mean. Don't take it mean. It does not matter what happens to us in life. What matters is what happens in us. I don't need to be, mean to be playing with prepositions, but it's real. You see, we experience life one time and then it's codified. It's stored. See, we have, we have three primary modalities. This is how we take things in from the world. You know, we have five senses. And the entry point into our experience, our experiential aquarium, uh, aquarium if you will, is through the five senses. We see things to take them in. We hear things to take them in. Uh, we experience things emotionally or tactilely to take them in. And then we smell things to take them in. And we, and we taste things to take them in. Now, smell and taste are usually not are not uh, life processing you know modalities. But we do process in those three ways, primary ways. We do it visually by sight, we do auditorily by hearing and kinesthetically by feeling and or emotions. And those three are what's called modalities in NLP. That's how we store everything. And so take two people, one person they were both married for sixty years. Uh, both married to the same person the whole time. First person they fell in love with, there's high school sweetheart, whatever. And then they die 60 years later. And one of them goes into depression. And you hear a lot of people that are together for long periods of time, when one dies really close to that person, the other person dies. And I truly believe it is because of how they have it codified, how they have it stored. See, it doesn't matter what happens to us in life. What matters is how is it codified? How do we store it? Because it is that storage that causes us to feel and respond in different ways. And see, whenever we're dealing with the, the unconscious mind, because that's what we're talking about here, the unconscious mind, this is not the conscious brain. Because both people had a 60-year marriage. Both people lost some money. And so consciously, they, they're going to go through a lot of stuff. But really, it's the way it's been stored unconsciously. Because we only use 3 to 5% of our brain consciously. You know this, right? I've heard the number as high as 11% if you're self-actualized. Someone who's working to be a better version of themselves daily, which is what I am. And so uh, most of it, I could l- use 11% of my brain. So still, if you're self-actualized, 90% of your experience on this planet is happening at the unconscious level. Stunning if you think about that. So we're not dealing with a conscious mind here. We're dealing with the unconscious mind. And so when you're dealing with this, I'm dealing with change work, you've got to look at two terms, associated and dissociated. You know, the old story about prisoners of war when they're uh, being beaten on and abused, uh, they dissociate. You know, there's a book called Mozart's Brain and the Fighter Pilot, and Dr. Ristak uh, did a research on some prisoners of war. And while these prisoners of war were being tortured, they would mentally rehearse golf. And so after being tortured and beaten on in, in captivity for 10 years, they, they get out uh, and then they go play golf. And even though they haven't played in 15 years, they play the best round of golf they ever played. Two things to get from that. Number one, what these gentlemen do is they dissociate. They have the proverbial out-of-body experience. And so what they do is they separate themselves from the experience and they see it happening to them. They're not inside the experience. They're not, uh, it's dissociating. What dissociate means is that means you emotionally detach from it. This is how a lot of people talk. If you listen to people talk, they, they use the wrong pronouns. And I'm not talking about in the a woke generation. I'm talking about the ownership generation. So people talk like this. Well, you know how it is when your wife cheats on you or your dad beats on you or this happens. You know, you know how it is when you work all your life to build a company and then the government takes away. You know, who's that person talking about? They're talking about themselves. But did you hear the pronoun I used? You. See, what we do is we take our pain and we push it out there and include other people in it, and it becomes philosophical. And philosophy doesn't change anybody's life. See, pain is a great motivator. They say an addict will never get help until they've hit rock bottom. The problem with this place called Rock Bottom is you only know you're there when you see it in the rearview mirror. You only know you're there when you're leaving it. You never know when you're at rock bottom because rock bottom is this: when the pain is so great that you'll do something different. Because pain's a great motivator, right? The the joke: a doctor a guy goes, to the doctor says, "Doctor, it hurts whenever I do this," and the doctor says, "Then stop doing that," right? <laughs> See, pain's a motivator. You know, Jesus asked Paul, why are you kicking against the goats? A goat is a sharp uh, object that forces an animal to move away from the pain. When you poke them with it, they move away from the pain. It w- allows you to redirect an animal. It's not being mean to them because that animal's smart enough that it'll move away from the pain. That's why God gives us pain. It's a processing mechanism. So we can learn something's important to us. So we can learn maybe we need to move from it. And now in this thing of grief, we need to move beyond denial, move beyond anger, move beyond the bargaining and regret, move beyond the sadness. But we need to process them all. Those are healthy, emotionally intelligent ways. If you don't process those, you'll never get to the fifth stage, which is what's needed, which is acceptance. And see in the story of the two women who went through the same situation, who went through my training just a month or two apart. M got freedom because she found acceptance in what I shared with her, acceptance in knowing that one day she'll be with her son again, and acceptance knowing that there is no justice on this planet. There is no justice on this planet. Even if the guy who killed her son gets thrown in jail, let's say he gets the death sentence, there's no justice. Her son didn't come back. She didn't get any of that time back with her her son. There's no justice there. There is no justice on this side of eternity. It's only on the other side. So when people say no no, no justice, no peace, you're wrong. All the just in the world ain't going to bring any of those people peace. Yeah. It's no Jesus, no peace. If you want to know peace, you must know Jesus. Because this world is harsh, and there's a lot of grieving going on. And so you got dissociated, and then associated is when you're emotionally involved. And in the study of the unconscious brain, I talked about sub-modal- uh, modalities. Remember the visual modality, the auditory modality, and the kinesthetic modality. Well, in each one of those, there's something called submodalities. And really, the key is the submodality. See, each representational system modality contains certain characteristic qualities, details, the way that it's manifested, and we refer to these characteristics as submodalities. And they contain the secrets of human thought and experience. Submodalities give the fine distinctions to any modality and transform the objective psychological processing of seeing, hearing, and feeling into things that we experience. And so you got to realize this. If you have a pain when you think about something, it's because you're associated. That means there's pictures in your unconscious mind. It's up close, they're large, and they're in color. Up close, large, and color are things that make things more associated in the, in the unconscious mind. And dissociated is when you can separate things far away, small, and black and white. So if you're having pain accepting the loss of somebody, it's because you're still living in that regret. You're still seeing all the problems, all the pain. You're seeing all the loss. You've just got to reframe it. You've got to reframe it and look how blessed you are that you had this person in your life. Look how blessed you are that you had a good father, a good wife. Look how blessed you are that you had this person for a few moments of your life. And this is where counseling helps out. This word, go to likeitmatters.net. Let me help you. I guarantee you in two and a half days we'll get over this. And if you can't do that, then email me at Mr. Black at likeitmattersradio.com. Mr. Black at likeitmattersradio.com. Let me help you have some good grief. You are under construction on the Like It Matters radio network. I am Mr. Black helping you become more hopeful about your future, reminding you when you live your life like it matters, it does. You gotta
4: help me, help them, help you, help me, help you.
3: This is a big deal.
2: moved into the house in uh, the summer of 2018 and the siding was terrible. Hi, I'm Dave from Mata I got a hold of JTR through Friends. It almost looked like uh, a giraffe. There were dark stains where the water had saturated the old paint that was on it, but there were other things that needed addressing and uh, there were a multitude of things from putting doors in and railings and and doing some electrical and things like that, all of which JTR gladly folded into the contract and took care of for me. It was an amazing transformation. In fact, my brother-in-law who had visited before we had the siding done, when he came back about a month after it had been done, he stopped out in front of the house and called me and said, what's your address again? Because he couldn't believe the difference.
0: Contact JTR Roofing now for your siding, roofing and window needs.